Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today our guest is David Greer, and he's gonna talk about his own recovery journey, and specifically from his perspective of being a successful entrepreneur and high-functioning individual, where he himself had difficulty recognizing that alcohol was actually an issue for him, and how others, because of his success and his ability to be high-functioning, didn't even believe that he had a problem when asking for help. So he talks about his moment of clarity out sailing on the Mediterranean under the stars and how something hit him and he realized this was a real issue for him really enjoyed talking with David about his story and his genuineness and his authenticity and am really happy that he has decided to share his story and in a way, as he says in the interview, break his confidentiality from the 12th step to help others. So I appreciate that he decided to come on and share his story. So I hope you enjoy it as well. And let's go ahead and start this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is David Greer, and he is going to talk about recovery and specifically about recovery with super high performers, entrepreneurs, people who are highly driven. David, please introduce yourself. Hi, Dwayne. Thanks for having me on today. I'm David Greer. I'm in recovery for uh, over 12 years now, but you know, I remember it's uh, literally one day at a time. I, I can't get very far away from remembering that uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a 40-plus year entrepreneur. And for the last six years, I've been a, a business coach and a facilitator of strategic planning. So I work exclusively with entrepreneurs. 
And the last year I decided to break my anonymity right, and yeah. to come out publicly. I mean, I had a little bit on and off, but much more vocally that, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery and I'm really focused. I focused on entrepreneurs who are running successful businesses, like not startup entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs who actually have running successful businesses and want to move it to the next level. And then I'm going to, I decided I'm going to subspecialize on entrepreneurs who are struggling with alcohol or addiction, whether they're still active or whether just their recovery and how do I run a business and be in recovery. And, and, it, and it all kind of comes together because I don't think we can separate these things from our life. I mean, they're all part of it. They, they are. Although most entrepreneurs hire me for business problems or because they're in a crisis. And, you know, they're like, we don't have to talk about personal issues. And I said, no, we don't. We'll only talk about things that <laughs> you want to talk about. Right, right, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's going to stay there. You can't. Yeah, right. And and so within three months, we'll be talking about some aspect of their life that doesn't involve business. Uh, awesome. So first, I want to start off by getting to know you and knowing a little bit about your story and and how this unfolded for you and and being an entrepreneur and how it looked. So sure. So I'll try and like, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now, just a little bit of my story, both kind of the business side and then the drinking side. So I got a degree in computer science. I joined a young software startup when I was still in fourth year at university. And I liked the place I stayed 20 years and helped build it into a global powerhouse. And, you know, when I was in university, I was more of a binge drinker. Before I got part-time work, I was on the rugby team. That's a good place to go drinking. Uh, definitely. Actually, I played rugby too, so I know <laughs> that. <laughs> but I don't think I was quite an active alcoholic. I think there was probably a, a, a point there where it could have gone either way, but there wasn't anything to suggest I should not drink. I, I mean, I was adopted at birth. I grew up in a household with two parents who would have a daily drink. I do not believe they're alcoholics. Right. Right? It's just... It was just yeah, hard. Some people could just do that. They're, but, they're good. You know, and, and one, and maybe dad would have a second scotch and that's it. You know, and right. they could party and, you know, they definitely would <laughs> have some serious parties with drinking. But I, again, I've, I've really looked back at that in pretty hard and I, I just don't see it as uh, that they were alcoholics. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I did have modeled, see, the thing that I think is I saw modeled this normalization of daily drinking. Right, right. So there wasn't anything in my 20s to kind of stop. I wasn't a daily drinker in my early 20s. But again, it was all normalized. And then, you know, I'm super successful. I'm like 22 years old. I'm standing up in the San Jose Convention for giving my first technical paper to about 75 right. people, right? And then that night, like, go out to this big gala dinner and, like, everybody's just drinking wine. Like, um, yeah. I remember meeting a guy from Hungary and he just drank me under the table. Right. And, right. and you know, I bring that up because I think in a lot of business, drinking is incredible. Like, drinking is normalized in Canada and the U.S. and Western Europe, period. But then right. in a business context... In many cases, I think it's even more normalized. Like it's the lubricant to close deals. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, it's it's part of the culture. It's what you do. It's how you get things done when you're working with other people. 
yeah, you're trying to close a big sales deal like an enterprise sales, you know, and you fly down pre-COVID, you fly down to, you know, the customer city, you, you're out with the key players, you maybe have your technical support team with you. You know, you, I've talked to entrepreneurs, like going to the bar, having a couple drinks before dinner, having a bottle of wine each, like, hey, that's situation that's normal. normal. Yeah, yeah. And to me, like, so that's, there's five drinks and a bottle of wine and two drinks before, that's seven drinks in one setting and not having anything in between. Yeah. Um, that's most medical people. You do that on <laughs> a regular a basis. That That's alcohol use disorder. Right. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. When you're drinking that much and you don't even and, realize it because, you know, they're pouring, you're pouring glasses, you, you know. I've talked to entrepreneurs about this. Like I, I have one of my clients who, who on his own violation, like I had shared with him, I was an alcoholic and I was in recovery. And he, yeah, he said, you know, I, I went, flew down and we were talking about this deal and here's what everybody drank. What do you think? And I said, oh, well, this is what I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that. And, right. And he's, he said, like, I felt weird just asking for glasses of water. Yeah. So for you, you're, you're, you're going along, you're being successful. You're going to these trade shows. I'm seeing very normalized drinking and, and the progressive nature of the disease just keeps, I keep progressing. Like when did I become a pickle? Instead of a right. cucumber, I, I can't tell you exactly. What I can tell you is when my wife got pregnant with our first child, I promised to quit drinking. And that promise lasted 24 hours. Right, right. So that was, uh, she was born in July of 89. So that would have been like late fall of uh, 88. So I was definitely an alcoholic by then. Right. So you started to notice like, well, also when someone says to you, hey, you got to, you, maybe you should slow down. You know, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then you can't. So I never, I almost never got to that place. I was in denial for decades because I just had massive capacity to drink and not show a lot of adverse effects. My significant other still is not 100% convinced I'm an alcoholic because her, it's like, I'm not a brown paper bag and wear an overcoat. I'm right. not, I'm not a truck driver. I'm not a uh, stumble down drunk. I don't right. slur my words. I don't fight. Like for my significant other, this is like, you know, I didn't get drunk and belligerent and angry, which is, that's just not, that's not my experience, right? It's not what happens to me. And so for her, if you don't have those attributes, you're not really an alcoholic. Right. You got to go really down over to that other side. And yes. And if you're not on that other side, then you, you don't have an issue. I, I think you bring up such an important point because I think there's a lot of people in your situation that struggle. They, they know internally that this is not good for me and I can't stop it yet. But on the outside, they got it all together, so to speak, <laughs> on the outside. Right. And, on the outside. and other people go, no, you don't have a problem. Get over it. You're being, you're overreacting. You're, you, but you know, like this is something that's a problem I, for me. And I don't know if I knew for a long time. Like, I just did it. Like, and I didn't realize how much I was coping with stress with, uh, you know, so I'm 10 years into this business. And then one of the founders who originally hired me, she wanted to retire. I bought her out. That was massively stressful. I mean, I'm, I don't know, 34 years old, two kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm borrowing high six figure amounts to buy this out. And it's got a bunch of payback. In that process, I left a, a, an accounting office on the 20th floor of a, a tower here in Vancouver, and I had tears in my I was crying. 
outside the elevator, wow. like in a, in a public high powered accounting organization, just over the, the stress and anxiety of taking this on. Now, it turns out that my former partner never would have executed some of the terms of the conditions. Like if I missed a payment, she didn't she told me that like 10 years later, uh, <laughs> but not at the time, Thanks. not at the time. And, you know, I, I made sure I banked a whole quarter's payment so that, you know, we could have a disastrous whole quarter. Actually, we could have a disastrous two or three quarters and I, I still would be able to make payments. And, and, you know, it turned out well and I made a ton of money. So, right. right. Um, so I, I, and also I bought it out and now I'm partners with my former boss. I'm not having employee reviews. It's like, I've arrived. Right. So like right. now I can drink more because I'm, you know, <laughs> because I've got it all. So I should, because modern culture, like watch the Hollywood movies, right? Like when you've got it all, you have a drink. Like, isn't that what everybody does? Yeah. But if you're using that alcohol to soothe yourself in some way, cause you're in some kind of distress, uh, yeah, yeah, but I didn't know problems. That. Yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that only lasted for like 20 years. Yeah. So daily drinking only 20 uh, years. <laughs> yeah, only 20 years. So I get to 20 years, my former partner, and I have a major disagreement about the future strategy of the company, we end up settling it by him buying me out. So I'm in my early 40s. And I'm now out of a business I've been in for 20 years, I got a really good check in my jeans. Not enough to last me for life, but enough to, you know. Right, to be comfortable, probably. Very comfortable. And someone smarter than me, who I met in that transition, said to me, hey, do you need to work right away? And I'm like, no, I'm not done, but I definitely don't need to work right away. And she said, you know, when she had a similar transition, she went off to Australia and bought a VW van and went traveling for you. And our kids at this point were 12, 10, and 6. And it was a, I was the literal, I can still picture sitting in her office and I can see the light bulb going off over my head, just like it does in the comics. Like, right. Uh, bing. bing. And uh, so my wife and I, we had lifetime sailors. So we commissioned a sailboat in the south of France and we took our three kids and we homeschooled them for two years and wow. sailed more than 5,000 uh, miles in the Mediterranean. Wow. How wonderful. Wow. So, you know, a fairy tale story, I would like see the light, I would stop drinking and, you know, everything would be better after. Well, it turns out the Met is a great place to go drink. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wine costs at least half or a third what it does in Canada. You know, there's seaside bars, every place that you pull into, you know. Right. And it sounds like on the outside, everything looks spectacular and you're not a fall down, drop down drunk. And so you're able to, you know, excuse the pun, sail through this without, uh, without much, without much, without much problem, but yet something's going on internally, obviously with you. I think at uh, that point it was kind of more party. It's like, you know, I put in the 20 years and it's party time and, you know, and, and my wife likes wine too. So it was fine to have wine on the table right. every night. And she's, she's not commenting on how much I'm drinking. And in fact, no one ever in all this time ever, even, even when I got sober, ever com- really commented on my drinking. Right. 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 More of that's part of that super high capacity ability. And I'm not the kind of drunk that just drinks to blackout, right? It's more, I drink to that level of intoxication where I'm, I, and then I maintain that like, through the whole evening 
Right. Like you keep it at that level to keep that kind of buzz going to, exactly. to, to even it out. To and even and out. not that out of control. Because after all, I'm the kind of guy who loves to control things. I mean, what otherwise, why be right. an entrepreneur? Yeah. A- including myself. So I don't want to get to the total out of control falling down drunk stage. Like then I'd be an alcoholic. <laughs> right. right. But I need this buzz. So <laughs> I'm going to find some happy medium. Right. So a couple of things happened on the trip that were, I think, cracked the door, just a tiny, tiny fraction. So we did more than 24 overnight passages in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to sail a boat at night. I mean, it can be challenging to sail a boat in the day, but at night, and there's a lot of freighter traffic in the med and just keeping your family safe. And what was interesting, you know, as I reflect back was all of those nights, I never had a problem not drinking. And we did some that were like two day, three day, and I'm, I'm talking 24 hours a day. Wow. Wow. Right. Right. You're on the boat. You got to keep the boat going. You got to keep it safe and you got to be on constantly. And normally, you know, I power up to anything big challenge with alcohol at that point in my life. But that one, it was like, no, I, I need to keep, I didn't even consciously think about it. I just, I just knew I wouldn't pick up a drink because it was too serious. The, the right. life of my family depended on my being sober. So that was interesting. I mean, yeah, in yeah. hindsight, I, I didn't really pick up on it a lot. I, I did a little bit at the time. And then our second overnight, we were in the Western Med Sea and we were actually motor sailing because a big high pressure system had set up. But when a high pressure system sets up, it's perfectly clear. And we were right. probably 100 miles from anything. And my son and I came on watch at two in the morning and above us was the Milky Way just down to the horizon. Wow. And, and there were so many stars that we kept mistaking stars at the horizon for lights from boats. Wow. And it's wow. unusual to have like light, the star light go that close to the horizon, right? Um, right. Especially because yeah. usually you've got some light source that's starting to impact it. And I think that, was a moment when my higher power touched me, but I didn't know it. Uh, like it was, I, like every time I share my 12 step recovery cakes, I mention that story because I really think it was a, a, the grace of something bigger was touching me. And that was like in 2002, and I didn't get sober until 2009, but I just think this was some of. Right. It sounds like the awe in that moment of of seeing that just took you out of yourself and you were touched by whatever you want to call that force, the higher power. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it hit you. And today, like when I'm not feeling that connected to something bigger than me, I just go back to that experience. Right. And I've shared that with my son a lot of times. And actually, it turns out my sharing it with him is really important to him. Wow. That's awesome. So, you know, we come back from this trip, I'm busy chasing deals, not having a lot of success. I'm, I'm doing early stage investing and I'm working for options and doing board work. And it's just not fulfilling. And I don't really realize how not fulfilling it is. Right. And then the universe put an extraordinary coach in my path uh-huh. uh, in 2007. And I hired him on my 50th birthday. We did our first eight hours together. <laughs> Wow. Um, my, so like an uh, intensive, like we're going to, yeah, like, like, uh, I'm a classic entrepreneur. There's two modes. There's all in or out. 
Like, yeah, there, there's no, <laughs> there's no in between ever. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you other high performers, you, you know, whereof I speak <laughs> and it took 18 months, but on January 26, 2009 at 10 30 at night, I had my last drink and I wrote an email to my coach with the topics, like some wins I'd been having and what I wanted to talk about the next day. And the topic was my drinking. Ah, uh -huh. And the next day, in our coaching session, which I remember was in the morning, I opened up. First time I'd opened up to myself, let alone another human being. That Because I still, I could give tons of examples of stupid, crazy things that, you know, I knew right. that I was an alcoholic, but I still, and notice I sent an email saying I was, I had a drinking problem. You know, right, I, wasn't, right. I wasn't prepared to use the A word. <laughs> Totally, totally. And he coached me to go to 12-step recovery. Wow. And that was a Tuesday. So he made me commit to go to a meeting before the end of the week, like by the end of Friday. So again, I'm all in or all out. So I go online that's after, that afternoon. I had a networking event that was on downtown until 8 o'clock. And I looked, and lo and behold, there is a meeting on literally, as I drive on the street by it, like a quarter of a block off the main street, I'm going to be driving by on my way home anyways. Right. So I went to that meeting. And that meeting happens to be in a legion. So legions are, uh, you know, were founded to support members of the armed service after if they're in or after they're in the, the service. And it's a social place. And as you and, and it's a bar. So I walk in <laughs> to the bar and the doors are open. Like I walk through the outside doors and the doors, there's an inner door to the bar and they're like open and there's like two or three tables with beers on. And oh, I just, I remember like just the deer, you know, just deer in the headlights. I'm just standing there and I'm, a couple of people going to the meeting obviously recognize me for what I was. Uh -huh. And they said, oh, hey, look, if you're looking for the meeting, go down the hall and up the stairs. Uh, and I turned and I went down the hall. And it, it turned out later, I found out there are actually 12 steps in the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, oh. it's really funny. And, uh, you know, I went upstairs to this big room. First meeting, there's probably 50, 60 people there. Of course, I hid out in the back. Tried mm -hmm. not to talk to anyone. Right. You know, I, I don't really... I certainly at the time wasn't willing to acknowledge how kind of afraid I was. And two young women, uh, Frostine and Esme, I still remember them. They kind of came out of the front of the meeting and just talked to me. Wow. So they kind of welcomed you in. And, you know, I'm like in my early 50s. They were probably in their 20s. Wow. Right. And they just welcomed me. And maybe uh, probably other people talked to me, but it's I don't know, just something about the two of them. Uh, really stood out for me. So in some ways, you knew you were in some kind of pain. I mean, obviously, yes. you're seeking help. But I, you know, kind of going back a, a little bit to what you were talking about, how, if you're really a high performer and, and driven and stuff, and on on some levels, you have all this control, but it's all contained around this inner pain, if you want to call it, obviously, there was some kind of suffering there. And alcohol numbed that out for you. You didn't have to pay attention to it. I didn't. I don't like negative feelings. Right. 
Right. Well, yeah. It's really simple. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes we try and complicate it so much, right? But the, the bottom line is, I don't like negative feelings. So, and I, you know, and I, and my three biggest fears are I'm not good enough, right? And and that's always present. And it's always present in business because it's like, am I going to lose customers? Am I going to like? So mm -hmm. it just really highlights the I'm not good enough fear. It's my fault. So that's my other fear, right? And who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to deserve a great life? Who do you think you are to, I, in, in my kind of codependency and looking after myself now, I just spent this weekend on our sailboat kind of by myself. And even there, like to just go do that and right. look after myself is still, there's some of that, who do you think you are to deserve to have a weekend of just being by yourself and just looking after yourself and doing the things you know you need to do to look after yourself. So yeah. I, I, there's still some friction, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, we can kind of start to understand those wounds that we have and, but they always like to pop up and, and say, hello, here we are. And, you know, <laughs> as you're trying to take care of yourself, but I like what you're saying where, and, and pointing this out, that those beliefs and those feelings were there. But I, my guess is, like you said earlier, they weren't conscious till later. Much you, later. Maybe you got sober and, exactly. and did a lot of get, work. Yeah. And so a lot of work, but so you're going along, but you don't, you don't know what's driving the bus, so to speak. You don't understand how that stuff is pushing you. Yes. And abs totally. And, and I did stand up at that meeting and say, I'm David, I'm an alcoholic which I think was the breakthrough moment. And, and that meeting has been my home group for 12 and a half years. Wow. So, wow. you know, that, that's been a, just a really uh, rock solid part of my sobriety. Uh, in the first couple of weeks, someone recommended to me a private uh, men's step group. Mm -hmm. And I still do that every Monday at six o'clock. In fact, I'm looking forward to it tonight. And there's still some of the men that I've met at my, that first meeting again, probably 12 and a half years ago, uh, are still part of the group, uh, including my sponsor. Right. So, wow. That's, that's so, awesome. And to know, have to those have relationships. It. Yes. And that particular group was uh, like really super high powered lawyers, judges. So like we really, really have to protect anonymity, both what's shared and who's there um, right. with that group. But you know, to have someone who I think is, you know, super high powered, like a judge share emotionally, like, you know, we read a step, like, you know, step three, and then to hear what it means to, to another guy. And, and I remember the first time in those meetings when someone cried and how uncomfortable I was, like, I wanted to go yeah. over and comfort them and, you know, it's okay. And I think there's probably 17 of us that night. And Every single person, like you could hear a pin drop. Just listening. Just listen, just holding space for the person to be in their emotion. And later, after a few more years of doing the steps and some therapy work, right. it was like, I realized I was super uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable with crying because that wasn't allowed in the household that I grew up in. Right. Right. Yeah. And thank God for that modeling. That's why, you know, for me, 12-step recovery has been so powerful. Yeah. So anyway, so those have been some of the things that I have done in recovery. Uh, I also knew with Coach Kevin 
that he's the kind of, I knew that once I admitted it to him, he was going to keep me, he was going to hound me. Like right. he was not going to. It's kind of like a part of your brain knew you needed this and another part was fighting it. Exactly. But I, I, once I sent that, once I pressed send on the email, I knew the jig was up. Right. Right. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew the jig was up because I did trust Kevin and I just knew he was never going to let me off the hook on this because that's right. the kind of person he is. Right. And it, I mean, that's an, it's like that other part of you or maybe that your best self or whatever you want to say really was advocating for you in that moment and said, Nope, we're pushing that button. We're pushing yep. that send button and yep. you're done. And then doing the work. I would love to talk a little bit about you working with high powered individuals, because I think your story is so relevant to that audience of, of people who are, you know, really they, they push to, uh, success. They look really good on the outside. They may have companies, they may be judges, like you were saying. And I think there's a certain personality with that, but there's also this undercurrent of hurt and pain that when you're with that is never expressed. Rarely. Yes. Yes. So people ask me like, what's the number one characteristic of entrepreneurs? And my response to that is persistence. They persist persist yeah so so the question is so what kind of people persist like they persist beyond unreasonable odds yeah <laughs> right so as you said just a moment ago they're driven people mm-hmm. so something in them really causes them to have this drive and you know i would say in some of a lot of my work with entrepreneurs that drive comes from a place typically from our family of origin, when we really drill down into it, that isn't necessarily healthy. Right. Right. And that's not what they hire me. And I'm not a therapist, but like the self care. So um, I got from coach Kevin in his book, your oxygen mass first, he talks about it. And, and I worked with him to develop this over a number of years, along with all of his other clients. So what we coach around is this idea that there's three parts to your life and you just, you need to figure out. So when you're setting goals for yourself, like for the year or the quarter, so there's your career slash finances business. Okay. Is right. one piece. Then there's like your life, your relationships, your significant other, your family, you know, those things. And then in the middle is yourself. Mm-hmm. And what most super high performing people do, they're super, super passionate in my experience. So they're passionate about their career business, that part of it. They're passionate about their life and their family. And so it looks like this shrink. Where's you like, you're just squashed in the middle because it just, you don't make it a priority to look after yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that's some of my coaching with people is, okay, so what's your goal for yourself? Like, what are you going to do that sustains you? Because the truth is, if you don't look after yourself, well, it's like recovery. If I don't stay sober and I go back out drinking, I'll be nothing to anyone. Right, right, right. Yeah. And if we take it in the bigger context of, okay, maybe you don't use alcohol as a coping mechanism or drugs, but you still are squeezing yourself out. 
And eventually you'll just, you'll burn out, you'll get sick, right? you'll get depressed. Like these things um, will show up because just humans can't do this, right? And if you're not taking care of yourself and you have no option but to, <laughs> I'm thinking you have no option to take care of your feelings that you don't want to feel anyway, you know, alcohol, it's great to like work too much, give everybody yes. else everything. Exactly. And then, and then, you know, well, the only way, well, only way I know how to handle it is, you know, food, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, sex. Yep. whatever it is. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of it. Yes. So you find a lot of entrepreneurs are workaholics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a persona, like there's a whole myth that like to build a successful business, you have to be a workaholic. Like right. you do, don't get me wrong. You have to work crazy, crazy hard to be a successful entrepreneur. But it doesn't mean you can't, like, even when I was drinking, even when I was building Robel, the software company I was with 20 years, I still spent at least three or four weeks sailing every year. Wow. Like, and I'd have other entrepreneurs, like, pride to say, oh, I only take a week off a year. Right. And I'm like, I, okay, you're not clear on the concept here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's probably not really that, uh, that uh, pr being able to practice that self-care to bring that balance to your life. But then I, I think like what you were saying earlier before, I guess, having that internal exploration, you know, part of that is driven by these, these unconscious wounds. Yes. The, the drive to be, you know, I've got to be successful. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I gotta, I gotta show yeah, like the who, world. Like my fear, who do I think I am? Yeah. Right. To like deserve self-care. Right. To deserve actually doing things that are just 100% for me. And maybe my spouse doesn't even agree with them. Right. Right? But yeah. that's her issue, not mine. <laughs> like, I know this is what works for sustaining, renewing, looking after me. Right. And you need recovery to tune into yourself. Otherwise, yeah. you, you got to sit with that discomfort, like you said. I mean, you go into that meeting the first time, and it's like, Oh my gosh, wait, this is actually about me. I'm uncomfortable and I don't know how to sit with this. And this is awful. So that's some of the coaching I do, whether the entrepreneurs are practicing alcoholics or addicts or in recovery or are just normal people, but have other <laughs> things that come up, you know, is, is I, you know, maybe I just in the first year, they'll just spend 10% of their energy doing something that just looks after themselves. But right. compared to zero, that's a, like a big like I only go where clients lead me. Like I meet each person exactly where they're at. Right. Right. And I just point out things to them. Like, right. is this really working for you to never go visit your sister or your mom by yourself, even though you know that those are things that really sustain you and renew you and make you feel great about life in the world. Yeah. And, and sometimes we need someone just to ask us that question to make us think about it because we're so on automatic pilot moving, moving, you know, and especially yep. when you've got high stakes on the line and you've got huge deals and huge things and, and, uh, employees that you got to make sure are taking care of. There's so much pressure. It's almost, you don't even have time to reflect on those questions or even ask those questions. And so when you sit with somebody who asks them, Sometimes that can be just the the light bulb. Yeah. And then, then another kind of common entrepreneur arc, you know, if you started the business from scratch, you had to do every single thing. 
and then the business grows and it's successful. But, you know, you kind of got successful by controlling every aspect of it. And at some point that doesn't actually serve you. And you probably have control issues anyways, like even if you're not an alcoholic. Right, right. And so it's coaching people around letting go of that control and helping them to realize that if they really, like the most limiting factor in most businesses is the entrepreneur themselves. Yeah. Like the business can only grow to the extent they can grow as human beings. Yeah. Right. Which isn't why someone necessarily hires me. They hire me to solve a problem. Right. (laughs) Right. Like my first reports don't listen to me. Well, maybe they don't listen to you because you always jump in and try and solve the problem rather than just letting them do the stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) How would you feel? Right. if someone said to you, would you look after this? And then you started looking after that. And then that person jumped in and took it over. Right. And and I would imagine when you're working with people, even on their, their business stuff, right, that you're asking these questions, this is going to, in a way, they're going to have to reflect on some of themselves to, to be able to even do some of the things that a yes. coach would have them do. So they're going to be in that situation where they're going to have to look at some of that, I don't know, and, and uh, pain, so I often, hurt. Yes. Yeah. So I will often ask, I have two young entrepreneurs. I just started coaching and they have very, you know, how they disciplined employees and kept consistent about it was very different. And so I asked them if they would do an assignment to reflect on conflict, like what it means to them. Right. Um, right how it's resolved and then i said and i want you two to get together and i want you to compare notes right because yeah. i could tell even early in our work together that they just and again it's not like one is right as one is wrong it's they have very very different comfort levels one is quite comfortable with conflict and one uh-huh. is not the person who's not comfortable with conflict is not going to discipline employees as much right is not going to be able to hold the line because to do that, they're going to have to create conflict. Yep. Yep. And if you don't like conflict, oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. And so I often, again, I, I, with my clients, I, I, I never tell them because I'm a coach. I never tell them to do anything. I right. very often ask them, would you be willing to do this reflective assignment? Right. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Which they can say no to, right. They can always yeah. say, no, I don't want to do it. Okay, you're not ready for it. Fine, we'll try something else. It's not not my place to judge, right? Just move on to my my next. Everybody has to has to find their their way. I mean, even though yeah. you know, I'm a, I, I'm a therapist and I and I do therapy and I, I work with people in 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 that capacity. It, it is. It's it's everybody has to make that choice and they have to find their their way. And any kind of helping individual can do is here's options for you have you thought about this question have you thought about that have you you know uh maybe, yeah, maybe as, try as, I this. Remind, as i remind entrepreneurs i only have the questions yeah like that's the difference between a coach and a consultant a consultant has the answers that's why you hire them they're super expert in whatever area they're expert in right. you, you hire them to do something do a project have the answers you don't hire me for that reason because i don't have the answers all i have are the questions right and, I have a lot of them and I have a lot of tools. Like I have reflective pieces. I have, you know, resentment pieces. You might be <laughs> right. Right. Non-alcoholics have resentments too. And it yeah. doesn't often 
And sometimes they carry them for years and years and years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They may not be them. using a, a alcohol or, yeah, or something yeah. to, to numb them out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're, we're all human beings at the end of the day. So I want to just circle back for a minute or so, a few minutes, um, just talk about kind of that early stage of my recovery, but back to entrepreneurs and now getting sober. Sure. Yeah. So like early in my sobriety, so I could, I couldn't imagine not having wine at dinner. Like, you know, there, there's all, every one of us has that piece that we can't imagine that that was one of mine. And then, you know, the other one that was hard was networking events. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and being around alcohol. So, you know, I, I coach people that um, just make sure you have a drink in your hand. No one right. will really ever ask you if you have a glass of water in your hand. Right. And if someone asks you why you're not drinking, well, first of all, it's none of their business. Right. Right. Yeah. Really, it isn't. That's a personal choice. And just feel free to say, I've just decided that I'm going to lead a healthier life. And one of the things I decided is to take alcohol out of my life. So I'm not yeah. drinking non-alcoholic beverages. And, and and that I tell people, like in my early 50s, I made a choice that I wasn't going to have alcohol in my life and, right. and that I was going to lead a healthier life. And, you know, that way I don't have to feel any compulsion to justify, defend, talk about, talk about my recovery or where I'm at. I just leave it at that. And if someone pushes it, it's like uh, my experience is usually it's because they're they have some issue with alcohol, either from their family of origin, uh, because they're an alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And and so that's why they keep pushing it because they're yeah. uncomfortable because you're not drinking with them. Right. And I think that for people like early in recovery, those kind of social situations can be challenging to navigate because you're so used to a certain way of being that here's this new way and how do you set those boundaries for yourself and mm -hmm. practice self-care and maybe disappoint the other people or you think disappoint i mean it's still their stuff but you know right. all those thoughts that go in into your mind and in the challenges yeah definitely those are those are and, definitely challenges and then others are did you build a drinking culture in your business yeah right because then you know you have to first look at how you're going to operate. You know, if you have Friday, if Friday beers for the, all the staff has yep. always been the deal, you know, you need to go prepared to what you're going to say to people. How and over you, the long term, you know, you may want to change your mind on that. Again, it's not a, something I would ever encourage an entrepreneur early in sobriety to worry about, but I, I would make sure that they're coached around what they want to say to their staff, uh, yeah. what they want to be drinking, what they want to make sure is in the fridge for them. And those are challenging situations. I mean, the, you know, I think maybe someone who hasn't struggled with alcohol or a substance, it can seem like, well, you just say you don't want to drink. But for someone who has struggled with it, these are these are way bigger. They're, they're really challenging, tough. challenging Very situations. Tough. They're uncomfortable. They're, yeah, they're, 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 how, how do I say this? So I'm glad you bring that up because... I think that's so important to recognize as, as part of, you know, entrepreneurs working through that process. Yeah, or again, a networking event, or even again, the Friday beers, like someone says, oh, hey, I'll get you a drink. Yeah. Right. And again, what is, what's your response? Like, usually I just say, uh, no, I'm, I'm okay. And when I'm ready for another one, I'll, I'll just go get it. Thanks. But thanks for the offer. 
Yeah, and I would imagine. I would. I'm just thinking, like, I would imagine if you have to deal with, you know, other high-profile clients, and this is the mm-hmm. way in which you knew how to do the social navigation and get the conversation flowing around business issues and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, now that's taken away. It's like, how am I going to be successful if I don't have this? You know, if I don't have this in my life, like maybe I can't do it. Maybe it won't work. Maybe I'll I'll be a failure. What will they think of? Yes, I'll be a failure. What will they think of me? Yeah, will all they, that stuff. They'll think, and, and usually it's, they'll think less of me. Yeah. Like it's not even a question. Right. It's, it's a statement, right? right? And then coaching people around, you know, uh, I do have a client of mine who hired me as a coach and then got sober very shortly after, who's in a super uber high-performing sales uh, with one of the top four tech companies in the world. And just coaching him around escape routes so that when you go into a social situation, whether it's personal or professional, and there's going to be drinking involved, if suddenly you're triggered and suddenly you got cravings to drink or you're really bothered, like how are, how are you going to step away? How are you going to escape from it? Yeah. Um, and, and really coaching in social situations to have the discussion with your spouse beforehand. So it's yeah. not a shock to them. Yeah. When suddenly you just disappear, but rather it's like the two of you should have a code word. And I, I, this is a question I, I have. Like, I, I would imagine as an entrepreneur, if you can take that energy and then put it into your recovery in a way, mm-hmm. you know, because entrepreneurs are problem solvers, they're, they're thinkers, they're, they're doers, they go for it and they take on these huge challenges. I, I'm just wondering can that energy be transferred over into their into their recovery process and in, into that well, process? Let, let's see. I've only done the steps the AA way eight times. I've done it <laughs> right. At, okay. There you the go. ACA yellow book once, and I've done the ACA laundry list once in twelve years so far. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so. you know, but I'm a slacker. A slacker. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So use that energy. Do you mean? Do you mean like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Being able to take that and and do that. So one more question. You also have a a, a book out there that you've written, "Wind in Your Sales," right? And yeah. I'd love to just have you comment about that. And I know that's written for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So that one doesn't make any mention of recovery because I wasn't. Right, uh, I right. was in recovery at the time, but I wasn't prepared to talk about it. But that distills my you know, at the time, 30, 35 years of entrepreneurial experience. And I, I think there's only kind of 10 sections of a business you need to think about or, or 10 aspects of your business. So that's the 10 chapters, which is why the, the subtitle is Vital Strategies that to Accelerate Your Entrepreneurial Growth. So those are the 10 strategies. But I'm a real practical nuts and bolts guy. So I want to give you enough theory that it's like you can understand the concept and then a whole bunch of tools to go apply it. And so that's uh, what happens in each chapter. And then I end every chapter with a case study by an entrepreneur who I think is particularly good in that area. So my friend, Murray, Murray Goldberg, I think is a brilliant on product strategy. And so he's featured at the end of the chapter on product. Right, right, right. And so and they're typically 1800 to 2200 words each. So when we look the a third of the book, is other people's stories. So it's not just like my collected wisdom. 
put into the book, but also that and another 40 plus people that I interviewed as, as part of the book. So again, just a lot of nuts and bolts, hard won experience. I, you know, I intended it to be a reference that you can keep on the shelf. And it's like, when you're really stuck, just pull it down. I, I put a lot of work in the index, look in the index and go read the two or three pages that apply. Awesome. Right. To what yeah. you're doing right now. And I recorded the audio version of uh, two years, maybe three years ago now, two years. And that caused me to reread the book in, in its entirety. And there was only one small paragraph that I felt was dated. Like these are, are overreaching concepts that have been around in business for a long time. And even you can apply to high tech to medium tech, low tech, because I think the concepts are more about people process and how to think about your business. So that's wind in your sails. Awesome. So uh, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, there's a, a question I always like to ask every guest when they when they come on is if someone out there is listening, maybe they are that entrepreneur, that high achiever who's struggling, what would you what would you want to say to them if you could say one thing? What would it be? You don't have to do it alone. I love it. That that's what I would say. You don't and, have to do uh, it alone. You don't have to do it alone. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have a one-hour coaching call with any entrepreneur, no charge. So, like, if you're really stuck on an issue, uh, you know, just visit my website. That My email and phone number is on every single page. And what's your <laughs> and, website? Throw it out there so people yeah, can yeah, it. Uh, CoachDJGreer.com. So, it's uh, my full name is David James. So, it's just my initials, CoachDJGreer.com. Awesome. And I will link all that in the show notes. David, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I appreciate your story. I relate a lot to it. So thank you. And thanks for all that you're doing. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. It was a great conversation today. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual. All the links will be in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out. And if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or write over you in iTunes. It really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps people find it. And I really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. You just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. 
If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.